The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Medea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madare, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. Have you ever thought about improving your appearance and then decided that surgery was too extreme for you? Have you heard about Botox and a liquid facelift and wondered whether or not that would be for you? This week's podcast episode is called Shape Shifting, Plastic Surgery, Volume 2, Non-Surgical Aesthetics. So here's some points to consider for major and minor procedures. You have to prepare for them. When you prepare to have a procedure, whether major or minor, whether in an operating room or in an office, it's important to consider your beauty goals. Why are you having the procedure? Why do you want it? Why do you feel that you need it? Do you think it will enhance your life, your level of confidence, your job prospects? What are the risks, adverse effects, and potential complications? All procedures have all of them, potentially, and they're important to discuss with your doctor. What are the benefits, the limitations, and what are the potential possible results? Who are you going to choose to go on this journey with you? What are your practitioner's credentials? Do they communicate with you? Are you comfortable with this person? Where are you going to have this done? In an office? In an operating room? In your city? In your town? In the United States? In another country? What's your overall health? Are you really physically in a state ready to be able to undergo this procedure? Are you eating well? Are you preparing your body to undergo surgery and to heal properly from it? What are your finances? I'm sure you could find procedures that range from the highest all the way to the lowest. What's important for you? What is within your budget? And if it isn't in your budget, what time is the appropriate time? Avoid medications that would potentially lead to increased bleeding and bruising, such as aspirin, non-steroidal, anti-inflammatory drugs, and some herbals. And consider using numbing cream. It's been my experience also that sometimes undergoing injectable procedures 
around the time of a woman's menstrual cycle could make her more susceptible to discomfort and potential bleeding. This has not been scientifically proven, but it has been my experience with some of my patients. So something to consider. So let's talk more specifically about non-surgical cosmetic plastic surgery or cosmetic medicine, if you will. There are many practitioners in this very crowded space of cosmetics, including medical doctors or MDs, naturopathic doctors or NDs, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs or physician assistants, surgeons, plastic surgeons, non-plastic surgeons, non-surgical physicians, dentists, gynecologists, pathologists. I've met many physicians who love cosmetic procedures. This is to say, choose your practitioner wisely and make sure you're comfortable with this practitioner's level of experience. So non-operative plastic surgery or non-operative procedures may or may not involve some kind of anesthesia. It won't be general anesthesia, and you more than likely won't be put to sleep or in a twilight zone, but it may involve topical numbing creams. It may involve local anesthetic through an injection of the part that's going to be injected or no anesthetic at all. Typically, some of these procedures can be performed in an office environment as opposed to an operating room, and there tends to be minimal downtime on the order of mm, hours to days. Some of these procedures include, but are not limited to, fillers or injectable fillers, and they add volume, they help to shape, they help to contour, and some of you may know it as, may know this procedure as a liquid facelift. Procedures also include neuromodulators, and basically those are substances that temporarily weaken or suspend muscle action by acting on the nerves of those muscles. And those include the Botox, the Dysports, Xeomin, etc. Other injectables include phosphatidylcholine deoxycholate, and that is specifically to target or disrupt fat cells, and that has been known as lipodissolve, and deoxycholate injections, or DC, and that is also to target fat cells, and that has been known, or one of the brand names is Kybella. Other non-surgical cosmetic procedures include energy-based devices, hot versus cold machines, and these include lasers, radiofrequency devices, ultrasound, and even microwave technology. And then there's skin resurfacing, and these are procedures that help to improve the surface of the skin. And they include chemical peels, VitaGlow, or vitamin infusions, dermaplaning, cosmetic tattoos, mesotherapy, microdermabrasion, and microneedling. So, in my practice, I perform a lot of injectables, so I'm going to focus on neuromodulators. So what are they? They're chemicals that act on nerves that have an effect on the muscles. What they do is they temporarily prevent muscle action to reduce wrinkling. Some of the more common brands, at least in the United States, are Botox, Dysport, and Xeomin. They tend to differ based on the manufacturer 
and the component of the botulinum toxin that's being used or that was used to create this medication. The, the technique pretty much involves general injection techniques. So it has to be clean and sterile. Typically the site is numbed, sometimes not. And then the injection is performed. Now, because these neuromodulators come in crystalline form, they have to be diluted with preserved normal saline or water. And then they become liquid form and that's what's injected. So even though one muscle set is targeted, because you're injecting a liquid, that medication, whether it's Botox, Xeomin, or Dysport, will have a diffusion area or spread, obviously, beyond that singular injection site. So that's something to consider. The results can take anywhere from two days to two weeks to be noticeable. The duration, depending on your metabolism, in my opinion, is anywhere from three to six months. I've noticed that my yogis and my Pilates instructors and my runners and the people who are very athletic, their Botox doesn't last as long as perhaps someone who is less active. And in my opinion, the greater your metabolism or the higher your metabolism, then the faster that you metabolize these neuromodulators or these chemicals, regardless of which brand is used. So recovery time can be hours to days. Some of the adverse effects. Now, adverse effects are effects that can happen. We expect that they may happen, and they're generally not problematic. And adverse effects are different from potential complications. Now, adverse effects are obviously discomfort or pain with the injection. If you've used a numbing cream or a numbing injection, maybe you won't feel that but that's not unexpected to have discomfort with injection. A little bit of swelling is to be expected and maybe a little bit of post-procedure redness. So those are what we call adverse effects because they're not comfortable. You may not want them, but they may be par and parcel of the procedure. Now, potential complications are different. We call them potential because they don't always happen, thankfully. We call them potential because we don't expect them. We don't anticipate them but for a number of reasons, they may happen. And it's important that you, you and your practitioner know that they may happen, but that you are both prepared in case they do. So potential complications include asymmetry. What if one eyebrow is higher than the other after Botox? What if you have a few crow's feet, residual crow's feet on one eye and not on around the other eye? What if the corner of one mouth is a little bit higher than the other corner? That's asymmetry. Another potential complication is bruising. Now, some people may consider that an adverse effect because they say, listen, you're getting an injection, you should expect to bleed a little bit, and you, sh you should expect to bruise. I've had some success with avoiding bruising, and I don't want to jinx myself, but there are things that you can do to prepare for that and to try to prepare to reduce that as much as possible. But whether it's an adverse effect or a complication, it certainly can happen. A real potential complication is an allergic reaction. And another potential complication is migration to other areas. Remember, I talked about that diffusion area. So even though you're injecting in one location, diffusion of the product can affect other muscles. And if you don't account for that during your injection technique, if the physician doesn't account for that, then 
the chemical may migrate to other muscles and have the effect that you didn't want. All right, well, how much does this stuff cost? Well, that varies depending on the region, the practitioner, the practice, who's doing it. But in general, the price ranges anywhere from $800 to $1,500 US dollars per area being treated. I'm of the opinion that you may be able to find a lower price, but again, if you find someone or when you find someone who is credible, communicates, who has wonderful, extensive experience and does a great job for you, it may cost more than, you know, the Medi Spa down the street. I'd also like to focus on something else that I have a lot of experience in in my practice, and that's injectable fillers. Well, what are they? They're gel-like substances made out of various ingredients, and some of those active ingredients are hyaluronic acid, or HA, calcium hydroxylapatite, poly-L-lactic acid, polymethylmethacrylate, or PMMA, and also autologous fat, or your own fat. What do they do? They fill lines, they restore or add volume, and they help to improve symmetry, or help to improve asymmetry, excuse me. What are the brands? The brands differ based on manufacturer and ingredients. Some of those brands will have different ingredients. Some of them will be HA or hyaluronic acid. Others may be calcium. Others may be HA, but different weights or different densities of hyaluronic acid. And that's how another reason how brands may differentiate themselves. There's a lot of them out there. So the brands include the whole family of Juvederm products, Juvederm XC, Juvederm Voluma, Volbella, specifically for lips, Volure. Then there's the Restylane family of products. Restylane, Restylane Silk, Restylane Lift, Restylane Refine, and Restylane Define. How do you know which one is best for you? Again, this involves communication and a conversation with your injector and your practitioner. There's also Bellotero Balance, Radius, Sculptra, Bellafil, Silicone, and your own fat. So what's the difference between using one of these off-the-shelf products versus your own fat? Many. One, you're using a manufactured product off-the-shelf versus your own autologous or your own tissue. Number two, there's a shelf life or a longevity that is different between one and the other. So in some hands, fat may last years, whereas the fillers generally last months, unless you're considering silicone, which is permanent. I generally advise my patients, especially those undergoing fillers for the first time, not to even think about silicone. And even for those who are undergoing, you know, fillers after many years to also not consider silicone for now. The other thing about the other difference between the off-the-shelf injectables and fat is that fat involves an additional procedure. There has to be a procedure whereby you harvest the fat 
you have to take it from someplace, from one part of your body to be able to transfer it to that other part of the body. Whereas with a readily available injection or filler, there is no ancillary additional procedure. So the technique is similar to most cosmetic injections, sterile fields, clean injections, clean off the area, numb it perhaps, perform the injections. And particularly with the fillers, I like to sculpt and mold and really shape it within the tissue. The results can appear immediately because the fillers fill immediately. And the duration is anywhere from four months to two years or more. Some of the newer fillers that are coming out more coming out now have longer durations. Some of them two years, four years, and one recently perhaps five years, at least according to the rep in the marketing. And the adverse effects are similar to most injections. So pain with injection, mild inflammation, perhaps a little bit of redness, obvious swelling that improves over time, over the course of days. The potential complications are asymmetry, meaning one cheek may be larger than the other. But note this, most of us are asymmetric anyway in our faces. So it really is important for the injector or the practitioner to recognize that before injection, to recognize that maybe there's a bony deficit on the left side that may require more soft tissue augmentation or more soft tissue volume to be able to make up for that natural asymmetry. Maybe one corner of the mouth is, is a little bit angled more downward than the other, and that requires the practitioner to recognize that and discuss it with the patient and then correct as needed with the filler or with the injectable. Another potential complication is accidental inadvertent injection of the filler into a blood vessel. And that is catastrophic because accidental inadvertent injection in the face into a blood vessel, an artery in the face can lead to blindness. Another potential complication is infection. So it's important for the procedure to be performed clean, sterile, but it's also important for the patient to not undergo a procedure when there is even mild evidence of a recent infection and certainly not during an active infection. And that includes any cold sores or any other types of infections in the area of the face. There is not necessarily scientific evidence for this, but I have observed that even in patients who have a cold or are getting over a flu and they come in after that episode and come in to have injections, then they may or may not recover as quickly. And again, this is anecdotal based purely on observations. So ideally, be in the best physical state that you can be before any procedure, needle or knife. Well, what does this stuff cost? That also varies. Varies on the manufacturer, varies on the product, varies on the duration of the product, varies on who's selling it to you and who's injecting it. In general, however, the range is anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000. 
And again, that depends on all the things that I mentioned, the areas treated, the numbers of areas treated, the practitioner, the product, how much volume, how many syringes you use, etc. And I would also advise that it's really important, especially with fillers, to manage expectations. Some of the fillers are reversible, meaning the hyaluronic acid products, the HAs. There's something that you can inject to reverse it and dissolve the hyaluronic acid completely, but that's just with hyaluronic acid. The other fillers, the other injectables are non-reversible. So it's really important to be in touch with your hashtag beauty goals and to discuss them with your practitioner and then to be able to manage expectations. In my practice, I often advise that patients move slowly and just add a little bit because they can always add more, even though that requires another office visit, it's worth it. Rather than go full on and do the Maleficent cheeks and then recognize that that isn't what you wanted and have to undo that or redo that. So please manage your expectations. So one procedure that I do not perform in my office are those of energy-based treatments or devices, what I like to call woman versus machine. Well, what are they? They're devices, they're machines, and they use various types of energy to achieve a result. They can be lasers, they can be light-based, they can be microwave-based. What do they do? Well, ultimately what they do is they try to change the skin or structures within the skin or underneath the skin to create a change, to create skin tightening, to create less fat. So these machines will target a certain tissue type and they'll either change it semi-permanently or they'll destroy it permanently. Lasers. Let's talk about lasers because there are a lot of lasers out there. I've known some of my colleagues, um, not necessarily in surgery, but in dermatology and some surgeons will have anywhere from two to beyond 30 machines in their office. I think that's very interesting. So they can do a lot for their patients and they can treat a wide range of therapies I think it's important for you as the potential patient to, again, know exactly what you're going for. So let's talk about lasers. There are two general types of lasers, ablative lasers and non-ablative lasers. Ablative, basically, those lasers remove the outer layer of the skin, that top layer of the skin. And maybe you've heard of some of these lasers, CO2 lasers, erbium YAG lasers, YAG and DYAG, and they, those lasers basically treat acne scars and deep wrinkles. Then there are non-ablative lasers. They preserve the top layer and almost bypass that top layer of skin and work beneath the surface of the skin. And those types of lasers include pulsed dye lasers, ND YAG lasers, so NDs are non-ablative, not, not ablative, and Alexandrite lasers. And those types of lasers are usually used to treat discolorations, um, spider veins, and birthmarks. Okay. So there are lasers, and then there are light-based devices. So light-based devices are not necessarily lasers, but they're 
non-lasers, but they generally use heat to tighten the skin. Well, what are they? Some of them are uh, called intense pulsed light or IPL. And that's similar to a laser treatment, but a laser focuses just one wavelength of light at your skin, whereas the IPL, it releases light of many wavelengths at your skin. And so IPL penetrates down to the second layer of the skin, the dermis, without harming the top layer. So it causes basically less damage to your skin. And IPL is typically purported to treat um, age spots, um, sun damage, skin discolorations, broken blood vessels on your face. Another light-based device is called cryolipolysis. And basically what that means is it's using cold to break down fat. That refers to a medical device that's used to destroy fat, but rather than using heat or light, it actually uses cold therapy or controlled cooling for non-invasive or non-surgical reduction of fat in a particular area. So many people will use that to reshape one particular part of the body and to reduce the amount of fat in one particular part of the body. Another energy-based device is radiofrequency, and that basically is used for skin tightening, and one radiofrequency device is called thermage. Another light-based device or another non-laser device is called, um, uses ultrasound, and one of those is called all therapy, and that also is used for skin tightening. So even though there are a lot of devices out there, they each serve a purpose. So this is where it's important, again, to have that conversation with your practitioner. What are the re- what's the recovery time? It depends on the procedure, depends on what you're treating, and it could be anywhere from days to weeks. What are the adverse effects? Well, these are some of the things that are known to happen that are not necessarily complications. And those include redness, a bit of inflammation, and some swelling. The potential complications we don't expect to happen. Ideally, they don't happen, but they can happen. And those include prolonged redness, acne, infection, changes in skin color, other discolorations, scarring, itching, erosions, wounding, crusting, prolonged bruising, blistering, burns, textural imperfections, and delayed wound healing. What's the price? So the price again varies on the procedure, on which type of laser, on what you're treating, on how many sessions, because typically laser sessions or energy-based devices require more than one session. And the price can vary anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000, especially if you're doing skin tightening, but depending on the areas treated and depending on the location, what city, what state, what practitioner. Let's focus on laser hair removal. Several years ago, when the laser hair removal device first came out, I was curious. And I was of the opinion that anything that I was willing to offer my patients, I should undergo myself. And to a certain degree, I still do that. But of course, I I now have my own boundaries and my own limits. 
So several years ago, I thought, okay, this laser hair removal, you know, it's the talk of the town. It's the next big thing. Let me try. I'm not super hairy on my legs, but, you know, I had some hairs that definitely I was waxing every couple of weeks. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go get laser hair removal on my legs. And I found a laser technician with whom I had worked previously And she had always done a fantastic job and seemed very knowledgeable. So I asked if she would have, you know, do the honor of performing my laser hair removal on my legs. So I went to her clinic and we sat down, we had a conversation and I distinctly remember talking to her about the settings on the laser, because not only does your practitioner have to know how to perform the procedure, but particularly with these machines and the devices, the settings have to be appropriate for you, the tissue and your skin type and your skin color. So I distinctly remember having a conversation with this technician and I was telling her that obviously she needed to adjust the settings, perhaps from her usual patient or usual client, and that she needed to adjust the settings for my skin color and my skin type. Her response was, I've done this so many times. I've done it on patients even darker than you, Dr. Madare. I know exactly what settings to use. Okay. So we proceed. Oh, and I got to tell you, it was so painful. And I have a pretty high pain threshold. I can tolerate pain, physical, uh, maybe not emotional. But anyway, I can tolerate pain and I was in pain. I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs. I assure you when this procedure was over, I was begging for anything like morphine. Obviously she's not a physician. She couldn't provide any painkillers, but I was in so much pain. It just wasn't making sense. So I went home limping, (laughs) very uncomfortable, allowed myself the time to recover. And a few days later, Typically, you would notice some crusting and a little bit of redness, but this was deeper than crusting and deeper than redness. Fast forward a few weeks, I looked like, what's the animal that has all the spots? Is it leopard or cheetah? Whichever animal has all the spots, that's what both of my legs look like from my knees to my ankles. I had dark brown, reddish spots all over both of my legs. These were burns. I had second degree burns all over my legs from inappropriate settings on this laser hair removal device. Thankfully, my experience in the trauma centers during my training, the burn centers during my training, the wound healing centers during my training allowed me to nurse my wounds for one year before everything came back to normal. And normal included a stage of the dark brown red circles all over my legs to a lightening of those dark brown patches to complete loss of pigment and hypopigmentation. So the beige and the tan and the light brown that I am was white. And then finally, repigmentation. 
so that I could reclaim my brownness. It took a year and it took a year of some high maintenance work. It also took a year of wearing pants, no skirts. (laughs) I had to go out and buy a whole closet full of pants. Anyway, so that was my experience. All this to say that you have to be careful. So laser hair removal, what is it? It's a laser and it's used to concentrate a beam of light, which manifests as heat, high heat, at least in my case. That high heat is attracted to the pigment in the hair follicle and the pigment in the hair follicle absorbs that light from the laser and the hair is destroyed. The caveat is that if you have hair color that is similar to your skin color, if you don't set settings on the device appropriately, once that laser beam comes out of the machine, that beam will have a hard time discerning between skin and hair if your skin and hair pigment pigments are closely matched. And that's what exactly what happened to me. So by the time the laser was about to hit my skin, it had to make a choice. Oh, skin or hair, skin or hair. And because of the inappropriate settings on that device, the laser went to my skin, hence the burns. So caveats, things to look out for, things to have a conversation about, lasers and skin of color, any color, lasers and white hair, no color, will the laser work? No. How many sessions? Laser hair removal is not about permanent hair removal. It's about permanent hair reduction. So choose the area where you want that hair permanently reduced. It does not get rid of all hairs. So we all know what the benefits are. Smooth and silky skin without hair. And that's permanent hair reduction. We all know about the potential complications based on my story and based on the literature. Burns, permanent skin color. I was lucky I got my skin back, but that was because of my extensive knowledge and trauma and burns and wounds. Someone perhaps who doesn't have access to all that information may not fare as well. Other potential complications are scars, and I do have one or two minimal, minimal scars from that experience. And frankly, it could be ineffective. And that is not a dire consequence or a dire complication, but you would have spent the time, the money, the energy, and the potential discomfort from having undergone that procedure. So what's the cost? Generally, about $200 to $500 per session, and it definitely requires more than one session. That's laser hair removal in my story (laughs) with laser hair removal. So now I've got a few hairy legs that I very happily wax at home. Thank you. So here's another procedure that I do not perform in my office, but I do perform it in the operating room just in a different way. I'm going to focus on skin tightening. As a plastic surgeon, the way that I know how to tighten skin is by lifting it excising it, um, suturing it, rearranging tissues. But technology has brought us skin tightening devices, and there are a number of them out there. So what are they? Basically, they're devices that use infrared light or 
ultrasound. They use those energies to tighten the skin. And the way that they tighten the skin is that they target collagen. And when they target the collagen, they heat it up. And then that collagen contracts. And it's that contraction that is perceived as or manifests as tightening underneath the skin. Some of the brands you've heard about, they include Thermage and Altherapy. Altherapy uses ultrasound. The benefits are that there's mild to moderate skin tightening. And the other benefit is that there's, there are no incisions. This is not surgery. It can be done in an office. The potential complications are that you can have prolonged redness, blistering, pigment changes, discoloration, and frankly, ineffectiveness. The results can take anyway, because it takes collagen weeks to months, at least six to eight weeks to begin to reorganize after it's been changed by an energy or a knife, a scalpel, the results from these skin tightening devices and procedures take at least two to three months to begin to appreciate the results. And in my experience, because I used to perform these skin tightening procedures with these devices, in my experience, it took a minimum of two to three months to begin to appreciate the result, but then that result would only last one year, maximum two years. So in my practice, it just wasn't something that I was interested in continuing. So results can take months. They may last months to years. And the cost per session, depending on the device, can be anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000 per session. Now, typically, because these skin tightening devices use a certain kind of energy that takes a few months to see the result, and the result can last a year or two, if not more in some people, then you typically don't need multiple sessions, but I have heard of patients having to have two sessions overall over the course of a couple of years. So let's talk about recovery because even though these are in-office procedures or what some people call minor procedures or non-surgical procedures, there is still a recovery involved. And for me, Many of the tips that I advise for my patients after surgery, I also apply to minor procedures. So nutrition is important. Food is a healing aid. Protein, green leafy vegetables, fruit, lots of water, 1.5 to 2 liters per day. Time. Allow time for the procedure. Allow time for the adverse effects of the procedure to resolve and allow time to heal. Healing aids, ice packs, homeopathy, if you believe in it, vitamins, supplements, whatever it is that you can do to make sure that you've gotten the best out of the procedure, you should invest in it. Also avoid medications that can potentially lead to the complications. And even though these are non-surgical procedures and they don't involve puncturing the skin with a needle or a scalpel, some of them can lead to bruising. So you would still want to avoid medications that can prolong your bleeding. So you do not have bruising or prolonged bruising. Also use compliments to healing. Those healing aids that I talked about are helpful, but also rest, drink lots of water, comply with your instructions because invariably there are instructions post-procedure 
and please adhere to your follow-up instructions. So a lot of these are similar to the instructions that they would be after surgery, but they still are very relevant even after minor procedures or device procedures, energy-based procedures, etc. So let me close with a few thoughts. And I may have mentioned these thoughts also after my discussion in the podcast about operative plastic surgery. There is no judgment in investing in yourself for undergoing a cosmetic procedure. There's something out there for everyone should you decide to undergo the needle or the knife, or in this case, the light. Any aspect of your appearance, whether small or large, may change should you desire or feel the need. But if you are going to do it, do it for yourself. Take your time and do your research to find the best procedure and best practitioner for you. Make the decision from an empowered place, a healthy state of mind and a positive outlook. A healthy body and a sound mind are important prerequisites to an outstanding result. And once you've made that decision, honor yourself and your investment by preparing diligently and adhering to post-procedure instructions. So this week's Fab Five are, if you are planning to undergo any cosmetic procedure, whether non-surgical or surgical, consider, number one, your beauty goals. Why are you doing it? Second is to be healthy, have a positive outlook and a positive state of mind. Three, choose a physician or a practitioner based on qualifications and your comfort level, not primarily on price. Four, prep diligently and allow for an appropriate recovery. And finally, know that it may not be for you and know that there are other alternatives. Thank you for listening to this week's Forever Fab podcast episode. Until next time, stay beautiful inside and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.